0: coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show, coming to you today from Essex, Massachusetts, the site of the current season of This Old House. My guest host for the program, filling in for Leslie Segretti this week, is This Old House host, Kevin O'Connor. Welcome, Kevin, and thanks for being with us. Anytime, Tom. Thank you for asking. Well, we love coming to your season and wrap events and bringing them to our audience, and each project is really unique, and we learn something each season, as I'm sure you do as well.
1: No, I definitely learned a lot this season. Our 33rd, by the way. That's amazing. Isn't it? And with this home, it was geothermal heating and a cooling system. Pretty
0: amazing to see how all that was done. Now, the interesting thing about this project was that the homeowners are not actually going to end up being the residents. When all is said and done, John and Julie Kikorian actually purchased this home with the end goal of having Julie's parents move in. And they needed some very special considerations that they were going to stay in this home for the long term. Right, Kev? It is.
1: And the goal here was aging in place. Of course, the house had done that for decades already. It aged right in place. uh, And that presented a ton of challenges as well.
0: As older homes always do. So let's talk about some of those challenges, starting with something that many people that have old homes wrestle with every day. And that is the electrical system. You did a pretty major overhaul, didn't you?
1: Well, we had two things go on. We had old electric in the house. And so we had to do a lot of rewiring uh, and upgrading that system. But we also had an old system bringing power to the house. So we are uphill on a very wooded lot. And we had poles, which were carrying the wires from the street. And it was a couple hundred yards from the street up to the house. Well, when we upgraded the service, we decided that it was time for the poles to go away, and we were allowed to actually bury the electrical service in the ground. But that meant about a 150-yard trench all the way down to the street.
0: Now, that's really an important upgrade, though, because so many people that have overhead wires have major power problems. I know the entire Northeast was impacted by Hurricane Sandy, and much of that was because the wires were overhead. By putting them in the ground, those wires and the entire infrastructure becomes a lot more stable. Correct?
1: Well, it was a, it was a big consideration for the homeowners. It's a fairly isolated spot up here. I'm from the area, so I know how often the power goes out, and as you say, it is often storm related. So having those wires exposed to the trees and branches coming down was a problem. This was the opportunity for us to put them underground. And ironically, when we started digging that trench, you right. know what we found Found? What? We found the old electrical service. Uh, so, so it was actually under there at one point? It was under there at one point. It made a lot of sense in this wooded area to put it under there. It probably failed along the years, right. and the utility came in and said, well, what's cheaper? Dig it up and replace it, right. or just string the wires above ground? Yep. So they did that. We're now taking it back probably 30 or 50 years, but to a system that we think is going to really hold up to any major storms in this area.
0: Well, as, as so many homeowners know, you pretty much inherit the ghosts of homeowners' pasts and, and contractors' past. And, <laughs>
1: and in and, this case, utilities' past.
0: Yeah, utility companies' <laughs> right. past as well. Now, um, speaking of storms, another thing that you guys did here, which we really don't see too much anymore, is you installed a lightning protection system. Let's talk about that.
1: Well, so we had a a lightning protection company come in and do an assessment. And what we found out was that this particular site was actually very vulnerable to lightning. And for three primary reasons. We are, as the crow flies, about a mile from the ocean. And the ocean means more storms. um, So that means more electrical activity up in the clouds for us. Mm -hmm. We are also very high up and electricity, light. He wants to strike the highest point so we are now a tall house on a hot yeah. spot and the third thing that i really never even considered um it was the content of the ground we've actually got a lot of ledge and this part of massachusetts is known for its ledge it's got a lot of high iron content huh. and our professionals told us they said well you know what guys you're like a big magnet for you're electricity. like a target we were we were yeah. like a target so they came in and we have got rods on top of the roof um, we have got wires that go through the house, copper wires uh, through the house that conduct electricity down to a grounding rod so that it will uh, disperse the electricity into the ground and not have it come into the house.
0: Yeah, let's talk a bit more about that because I think a lot of folks are very unfamiliar with what we're doing with the lightning protection system. So, in theory, the lightning strikes the rod because that's the target we put on the, ro- on the roof. Then it travels down a wire, and where you put that wire is important because, for example, if you put it too close to electrical wiring, too close to plumbing, That electricity will jump across and electrify the house at the same time and fry the circuits. So you have to be careful where you put that wire. Then, of course, it's got to be implanted firmly in the ground because the ground is the ground. And that's where the electricity disperses. Yeah,
1: I I didn't fully appreciate this when the system was going in. We are doing nothing to reduce the chance of this house getting hit by lightning. What we are doing is making sure that if and when it gets hit that we don't have any damage. And so that electricity, if it hits your house, it's going to go through your house to ground. feel lots of resistance. Um, and we want to make sure that we reduce that resistance. So give it a place to strike, the rod on the roof, let the wire carry it all the way down. And as you say, we actually took care to make sure that all the wires were interconnected, and we tried to bring them away from the mechanical equipment as much as we possibly could and actually ground the mechanical equipment as well. well. So a lot
0: of thought went into this whole system. Well, it was a really smart improvement. If you're a lifelong fan of this old house, having your home chosen for a project is a little bit like maybe winning the lottery, except it's kind of an expensive lottery. And that's exactly what happened to John and Julie Corcoran, the homeowners from the project. John is here. Welcome, John.
2: Thank you, Tom. Good to be with you.
0: So you had a, a, a very exciting crew here to work on this project. What was it like working with these guys?
2: It's, it's a process you, you, you have to almost go through to understand. <laughs> nine, months of, uh, nine months of a 12 to 18-month project really right. crammed in fast. You you have to be able to roll with the punches and do things quickly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, what was it about this house that made it special for you?
2: We live in the in the uh, abutting property. Okay. We, we were worried what might happen to this place. Is yeah. part of it, and then we started to understand the history of the place, and it was special, and we wanted to protect it and preserve it, and that's a that's a perfect mission for this old house. Well, what
0: was the history of the place?
2: It was built uh, by the Hammond family in the 1930s. This was okay. a getaway. It was a it was a little escape in the woods for Mrs. Hammond. To uh, in, indulge a little bit in her, some of her artistic interests, right. she she didn't live here too much, from what we understand. We've been able to research a fair amount on the house, but she um, she lived here or, or worked here until her death in 1959. We're only the
0: fourth owner in in the course of 80 something years in this house, and that's pretty amazing. Because if you think of 80 years in the house, an average of 20 years per owner, there's a reason that people hold on to this home for as long as they do. There's something special about
2: it. I'm not sure if it's the way it sits. We have this theory on old homes that they're not – the way they're sited isn't by accident. There there was plenty of choices in land and where to put a house. We think this was here to take advantage of the the view, the light, the air. Right. For people who are artistic, those things are important. And, And even though the house was really overgrown when we started, even then it started to emerge a little bit that there was a vision around this house. And
1: overgrown is really an understatement. I mean, this place was about to be devoured by forsythia bushes and all the trees, and remarkably, therapy for this man is with a chainsaw. <laughs> I've come to this site many times early on to see John out there in the hard hat and chaps working a chainsaw taking these trees down. It, was you, that a you, fun part of the project afraid. for
2: you, John? It was, a good, it was a fun part of the project. It, it's sort of my weekend therapy, I guess. and uh, uh, It's not my day job, but uh, it's good to have a fallback if uh, times get tough.
1: And, and the change is remarkable. You had a very wooded site with lots of sort of um, secondary trees and understories you say that was overgrown. Now that it's all cleared out, um, we not only have more chance for these trees to mature and to grow the good ones, but you actually brought in some views because there's water about a mile as the crow flies from here. Water to the north. Uh,
2: the other big gain is that the, the place was infested with ticks, you may recall, oh, walking wow. in here, and yeah. they're all gone. Huh. I think the... Not sure exactly what made them all go away. I think eliminating all the undergrowth
0: was right. part of it. Yeah, well, you you made it a lot less, less likely that they're going to be happy here, and so they've moved off. Well, right? I thought Tom Silva had that effect on most. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll
2: check with him on that, <laughs> Kevin.
0: Uh, finally, uh, one of the goals here was accessibility, John. Why was that so important to you? We envision that this is a place that my in-laws
2: might eventually move into, if not right away, fairly soon. My my father-in-law has a, an artificial knee. He has a hip pending. Right. We have four young children. I'm sure they love them dearly, but the ability to visit us and then come down here and, and stay and, and have a little bit of privacy, but also to be able to get around, to be able to go in the front door, go right through. Everything's on one floor, even though it's a two-story house. You can do everything you need to do on one floor. Perfect. There's no bumps on the floor, and you can
0: have a perfectly normal life on one floor. Well, it's a beautiful project, John. Thanks so much for inviting us here today. Congratulations on the completion of this project. Thank you. It's great to have you here. You are listening to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at MoneyPit.com. Coming to you today from Essex, Massachusetts, the site of the current season project of this old house. I'm Tom Kreitler. And
1: I'm Kevin O'Connor. Still ahead, two very important people that make this old house happen every single week and are not in front of the cameras. They are Deb Hood and Tom Drought, our series producer and director. Up next, Tom and Deb take us behind the scenes and share what it takes to bring this old house to TV every week. So stay with us.
2: This is Jeopardy.
3: Uh, I'll take a wasteful to money at 1,000. This phrase for a house that keeps needing costly repairs is also the name of a home improvement radio show.
4: Alex. What is a money pit?
3: Good. Hey, hey,
4: hey, money pit.
0: Where home solutions live. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Kevin O'Connor. And we are on location today with the cast and the crew of This Old House as they wrap up Season 33, and that's more... And three decades on the air redoing the country's most historic homes.
1: And we couldn't have completed a single one of those seasons without the incredibly
0: talented production team
1: that makes the TV magic happen every week.
0: And that job falls to series producer Deb Hood and director Tom Drought. Welcome, Tom and Deb. Hey, Hello. Tom. It's good to have you here. So what were some of the unique challenges of this particular project?
5: It has to be the remote site, the fact that we're up here on this hill. You know, everything has to be kind of trucked up. There's ledge and, you know, tr- a bunch of trees to take down. I think just the site itself sort of led to the challenges, but also some of the good opportunities for the project, I think.
3: And for me, it was uh, the contrast against being in Cambridge before that, where we're up against city streets and all the problems there. We had a 360-degree view here. We had nobody getting in our way. (laughs) You know, we really had – and and landscaping was like a huge part of it. It was just a really uh, great experience from all
0: angles. You didn't have to worry about the neighbors here, did you? No, well, just one of them. Now, I think people are fascinated um, about how you guys can take these houses from, you know, the old worn down shells that they start and transform them in such a very, very short period of time. I mean, even myself, a week prior to, uh, to today's broadcast, I was watching your webcams. And I'm like, oh, my God, they've got seven days left and uh, we're not even seeing paint on the walls. I mean, how do you guys pull it off?
5: It always seems to come down to that—that that we think it, you know, it, it just—it doesn't look like it's going to be possible to finish it. But it's all Tom Silva. It's Tom Silva's sort of ability to marshal his subcontractors and and just get the, that kind of level of performance out of them. I mean, it's one of the things that you know people don't. Unfortunately, don't get in the real world very often. Is that sort of you know attention to detail and teamwork? But here, you know, everybody is just working towards the one goal of getting it done. So you see, you know, kind of miracles that you don't see in the real world.
1: I, I do have to agree that Tom Silva is critical to the operation. But the thing that Deb's not telling you yeah. <laughs> is you know her involvement in that process. Um, she's the producer, so she's in charge of the story certainly um, and production days. But she's surprisingly uh, a very effective construction manager uh, because Deb's got to make. Sure sure that whatever's going on on the job site is available for us to film. So she's actually working hand in hand with Tom Silva and his crew all of the time. I can't tell you how many times I've bumped into a conversation or overheard a conversation with Deb and she's um, haggling with a tile contractor or talking to a designer. (laughs) She's very much a construction
0: manager on this job. So you've uh, picked up a lot of knowledge over the years. How long have you been doing this?
5: Uh, 11 years now with this old house. Yeah, I always say just enough to be dangerous, but I always make sure to tell people that I am not a builder. I'm a TV producer first.
0: So do you do all the repairs in your own house?
5: Uh, No, uh, (laughs) it's that classic story. My husband and I live in a house from 1880 and I have plywood, bare plywood in my kitchen on the floor. So, you know, the cobbler's uh, children have no shoes. And so um, our house gets neglected, sadly.
0: Tom, what's it like working with the homeowners? I mean, they invite you uh, into their home. So it's 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 a very close relationship that you obviously have to have with these folks to kind of let you film a renovation project. Um, which, of course, they're always very stressful. So what's your secret to success with working with the homeowners?
3: Well, a lot of times we don't work. I mean, we work with them uh, in the beginning and sort of – and Deb kind of keeps the filter for me, for me. I uh, actually did respond to some of what was just said before. Uh, you know, the, the filters that go through to the time it gets to my stage is right. uh, pretty amazing. I mean, again, Deb is – Balancing so many different things, and I don't see half of it. So I have the lucky job of being able to just be presented with this is what we're doing today, and just trying to make it better. As far as the homeowners are concerned, their their impact is you know it varies on each job, but really the relationship with with Tommy and the contractors, and, and the in this particular case, Jason White, Jason White, right, mm-hmm. who is just you know in charge of this, you know just the subtlety of making sure that they're comfortable finishing this job, right. But as well as we're trying to get TV out of it, and that balance of trying to like not get in their way, but you know support them, is is really tricky no matter where you do it so it's uh we just try to make it work for everybody and it's sometimes that's not easy but sometimes in this case it was really successful
0: Yeah. And I, and I understand the, one of the things that you have to say about 25 times a day is one more time.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Right. Nobody believes me at all. I know that for sure. So
1: the other thing too, that Tom is doing is, you know, Deborah is crafting a story on paper and that's being driven partly by what's going on on the job site. Right. Uh, But then Tom has got that final stroke of telling the story. And realistically, he's only got one tool in his toolkit and that's the camera. Right. He's got to actually make that story come to life visually. And so it's amazing to watch him sort of you know look through his fingers and say, oh, geez, I've got to get this angle, that angle. He's thinking about it in a way that really no one else on the set is thinking about it. A and, very visual um, way to articulate what Deb has come up with and what comes out of my mouth.
0: And, and I think what, what most folks that listen to our show and watch programs like yours is they think that what we do is scripted. They don't understand how organic – this process is and how rare it is to have a group of professionals like you guys have had for 33 years pull this off every single week. So congratulations, Tom, Deb, Kevin, just an amazing job. Thanks, Thank you. Tom. Well, one of the most unusual and TV-friendly aspects of this renovation, including a makeover of the landscaping, the house is set in very dense woods, but near Waterview. So what was the best way to keep the character of the surrounding area, but still allow for those views? Jade
1: Cummings and Kellyanne Connolly can answer that. They are the landscape architects on this project. And Jade, Kelly, welcome.
6: Thank, Thank you. you very much.
0: So let's talk about the house position, because that's always the place that you start when you're planning the landscaping. You were uh, working with a home here that was set in 1935 on an incredibly dense lot. What's the first thing that you guys do to try to bring this design to life?
7: First thing we did was we, we spoke with the homeowner to understand what their overall design vision was. And very quickly, we learned that John and Julie wanted to really open up the site to return the site to its original uh, airiness right. if you will. Uh, so that was that was our first goal.
1: And, and when she says open up the site, what she means is John wanted to cut down a lot of trees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you this was can't really dense. It was dense. It was overrun, right? <laughs> it was. It was. And, and most people would say, "Oh, he's taking a chainsaw to the property, but overrun is the word." Overrun indeed. There were
7: invas- invasive species, the understory had had grown exponentially over the years, so John really wanted to go through and clean it up.
0: And by by pulling um, those old trees out, or some of those trees out, you actually give life to what's left, right, Kelly?
6: That is correct. So um, the site, what's important to remember, this is a rural agricultural area. Right. So New England was all deforested a long time ago where they were doing a lot of agricultural production. Mm -hmm. So this site was not wooded in a wooded state uh, in the 30s, it was probably a little bit more open, right. and it kind of grew in over time. And so by opening things up, it allows the understory grasses and some of the more uh, native materials to kind of sprout back up so because there's sort of light.
0: Right. So taking away was a good thing. Now, one of the design goals here was accessibility. It had to be accessible for the homeowner's parents. What elements did you design into the landscape to make that accessibility possible, Jade?
7: We concentrated on the walkways and then the front patio's terrace area and then the back patio terrace area so that the the client's parents, the homeowner could very easily have accessibility from the parking area, right. into the house, and then out onto the patio. Sort of a seamless movement.
0: And you shot for something that was uh, that was zero threshold, right? With those patios, because you don't want them to have to roll over anything if at some point there was a wheelchair involved, right?
7: That is correct. So we were very intent. We, we worked to eliminate the need for steps, and we did that through the grading of the site to ma- maintain, obviously, positive drainage, but then the accessibility.
0: And Kelly, um, you also took entertaining uh, into consideration. How did that work in the design?
6: So we wanted to create spaces that would allow gathering uh, in multiple places within the property. So the front terrace is open so that you can actually have gathering occurs at the front door. You have a very um, beautiful sort of organic-shaped terrace retaining um, patio on the back of the house that has enough room for a grill and table and so on. And then you have the greater meadow, which opens up to, you know, family use area there. And uh, the site in general allows for multiple zones of activity that don't require steps and and sort of change of elevation.
0: Good. Last question, 10 seconds. Uh, Jade, if a homeowner wants to make their home accessible from the outside, where's the best place to start?
6: Start with a good plan.
7: And then when you understand the circulation routes, work with the elevation change to make sure that you don't have to have unnecessary steps in a clean access entry point.
0: Great advice. Jade Cummings, Kelly Ann Connolly from Terra Inc. Thanks so much for stopping by the Money Pit. Thank Thank you. you. You're listening to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show coming to you from Essex, Massachusetts and the site of the Essex Project on TV's This Old House. Up next, we're going to talk to the last man standing, the only original cast member of This Old House, Norm Abram.
1: And Norm is a TV icon, and his knowledge about homes and craftsmanship is unmatched.
0: We're going to hear about the problems going into this project, including what we lovingly call deferred maintenance, <laughs> and how that problem was solved by the team at This Old House. The Money Pit will be back after this.
1: Eight, 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 money.
7: Money Pit is brought to you by Stanley Tools, your trusted name in quality hand tools. To learn more about their complete line of quality tools and everything for your toolbox, visit stanleytools.com
0: making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show coming to you today from Essex, Massachusetts, where they are wrapping up another successful season of this old house. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Kevin
1: O'Connor, pleased to be filling in for the better half of the Money Pit's hosting team, Leslie (laughs) Segretti.
0: No disputing that fact.
1: So if you're watching the episodes right now on TV, you'll see that our progress is at about the halfway mark. But here on the site today, we are getting our first look at the completed project, and it looks great. A completely renovated 1935 Woodland
0: Cottage. A beautiful project, and one of the challenges, though, we all face when remodeling an older home is making up for years of neglect that are brought on by little to no upkeep over decades and decades, which really does take its toll on any structure. This project was no different, well, except with one exception. The home had master contractor, Norm Abram, to bring it back to life. Welcome, Norm. Glad to see you back here again. So congratulations on your 33rd season. Did you start when you were like 12. Yeah,
8: it seems that way.
0: (laughs) So let's talk about this house. Uh, One of the biggest problems, something that everyone can relate to, deferred maintenance, neglect. I mean, you had it here in spades,
8: right? Yeah, you know, the the grade was bad around the exterior of the building. It came right up over the sidewall shingles. We always get terrified when we see that. Right. There was an addition that had been put on that was always suspect from the first day we were here because you started to see the sags and the dips. In the floor, in the roof line, the shingles, the roof was totally, I'm surprised it didn't leak, the roof (laughs) shingles were so bad. The windows were rotten, there was nothing that was really good about this house when
1: we started. Wow. And, you know, we spent a lot of time uh, fixing some of those problems, but we also took that roof off, and it probably the most memorable two days in filming history. <laughs> Is that right? Well, we ended up going up on that roof on probably the hottest day of the huh. summer in July or August. It, it went over 100 degrees. It was over
8: 100 degrees.
1: And we were up there for eight hours? All day. Wow. I <laughs> mean... Well, it started
8: out, we thought we had this idea, we would just cut it into little chunks. Right. If we had done that, we would have been there for three days. <laughs> and Tommy decided, wait a minute, I think I'll get the lull, and maybe we can do this in little bigger chunks. And then Jason got up there, and we just started taking as big a chunk off as we could. Downing the water all day long. I went home, I thought I was going to be sick. It was It was. I've been doing this show for, what, 33 years? 33 years, the, yeah. And that was the hottest day that I've ever worked Really, ever. Show, ever.
1: I, I could barely walk the next day, and I was too embarrassed to say anything. And then when I found out, everyone else was just wiped out from this day. I mean, 100-plus degrees up on that roof, eight hours. Yeah, eight
0: hours. Killing it. 100 degrees, and that turns into about 45 seconds of television, right? And, and, on,
1: <laughs> and on top of it, we had a bunch of wasp nests. Oh,
0: man. <laughs>
1: so we're up you don't want attacked. to be
8: swinging arms wildly on top right. of the roof, oh, you know? Oh, I forgot man. about that, Kevin has got the spray, and he's like, shh, shh,
1: spray it all over. "I was like, you guys get the roof off. I'll take care of the bees."
0: Let's talk about some of the windows that you guys worked on here. Um, a lot of them were rotted, not functional. How did you restore those? Huh? Well, basically, they didn't get restored; they got replaced, right? And
8: uh, Tommy, and that's the decision that every
0: homeowner makes: is right. it a restoration or is it a replacement?
8: Right. And you know, they were single pane. Uh, they they were rotten. There was no. No economy at all, even of thinking of trying to save those windows. Right. But the thing that was interesting is the homeowners still wanted to have the same look. They wanted an out-swing encasement type right. window, which is not uh, unusual, but not one with a crank. One with just a little lever lock on it, so you kind of manually push it out. And make it work in that in that form, like so, an old like an old fashioned window woodwork. That's right. right. You often yeah. see those in steel in some buildings, yeah. but they were yeah. wood in this case. And uh, so the windows and everything are pretty much sized the same. Uh, where we push the building out a bit for the new kitchen space, and the new um, all season uh, sunroom, uh, that. It was a different configuration than what was here originally.
1: And and I will say that one thing that we did have to do is because these are are swing-out casements without the crank, you've got to reach into the uh, sash and turn a handle. The screen, as you know, is typically on the inside of the casement. We had to create an operable screen, a screen that would hinge So the screen actually
0: had to move with the window.
1: No, it actually, um, the window you pushed out, but the screen was hinged so that you could pull it in. So it was Ah. a two-part operation. Got it. The manufacturer makes one, um, but it wasn't the look of uh, what Tom or the homeowners like. So Tommy went and he, of course, manufactured. Made his own, right? Custom screens for the inside (laughs) of these windows. But it actually made a big difference in terms of the look and the operation. And I've got a confession to make. The old windows were so... Quaint looking, right? Even though they weren't efficient, I got about three or four of them back at a treehouse at the
0: house. Oh, perfect! <laughs> you got three or four out of how many windows there I are? In? Yeah. Well, listen, you don't have to worry about energy efficiency with a with a treehouse. No. And then you took um, you took that uh, that sort of idea of trying to keep the original design to the inside with the trim on this house, which is actually very unusual. Right, very plain plain trim on the
8: inside, but it was even more than just the trim. The homeowners didn't want to do this project and do what most people would do in a renovation like this, where everything is going to be crisp and straight and square and sharp. They wanted it to have the feel of an older house. So the outside corners in the rooms, instead of being 90 degree angles, they have these soft curves. And it kind of mimics the old wood uh, corner bead that they used to use back in in the 1700s, 1800s. And uh, and then they did the plaster instead of going for it. You know, glass smooth plaster job. It has that feel of all. And I'm, in some places, you look at it it looks like oh, they had a problem. They patched the old. <laughs> right. No, that's the supposed to look plaster. that way. Yeah. Right. Right. And and so that that uh, really made a big. It looks difference. less than perfect on purpose. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's not right. easy to pull off. It's not. And like anything, people try to distress furniture or anything like that. If you if you if you're not careful
1: about what you do, it really looks horrible. But this came out beautiful. And there's an eclectic mix of materials, and so you've got this sort of rough plaster in most rooms, but in the foyer, we use those rough sawn right. pine boards. Mm-hmm. We were able to salvage some old beams, and you guys mm-hmm. spent a lot of time installing those, particularly in the kitchen. Right, and that made a big difference, having that space go from a lower
8: ceiling in the living room area, and then just walking into that kitchen and seeing it soar up, it really opened the whole feel of downstairs. Well,
0: the transformation here is magnificent. One of the best I've ever seen. Congratulations on another amazing project of your 33rd season. Norm, thanks so much. Hey, well, you're welcome. You know, when I get ready to totally
8: retire, I hope my kids build me a place like this. <laughs>
0: You're tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. Still to come, we're keeping it all in the family. We're going to talk to Ross Trithui, Richard's son, who's the resident expert on eco-friendly mechanical systems for the home. He's going to tell us about the unique geothermal heating and cooling system for this house.
1: And later, I'll wrap up the project highlights and get ready to hand the keys over
0: to the new homeowners. From Essex, Massachusetts, the Money Pit continues after this.
1: Live in
2: a money pit.
7: Money Pit is brought to you by Stanley Tools, your trusted name in quality hand tools. To learn more about their complete line of quality tools and everything for your toolbox, visit stanleytools.com.
0: Where Home Solutions Live. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. We are coming to you today on location in Essex, Massachusetts, where we're getting a sneak peek into the current season of this old house. Now, you can follow along the amazing project on your local PBS station, but I get to see the finished product. And with me today, filling in for Leslie Segretti, who is taking care of her newborn and his big brother, is Kevin O'Connor, the host of this old house. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Tom, it's great to be here. I really appreciate you inviting me along. Well, with It's good to have you, and one of the things I love about this old house is how it's kept up with changing technologies, and this project is really no different. It's got a state-of-the-art geothermal heating and cooling system in place, and Ross Trithui took the lead role in this part of it.
1: And if that name, Trithui, sounds familiar, well, it's because he's following in his dad's Richard's footsteps.
0: Well, like father, like son. Welcome, Ross. Hey, good to be here. So you are a renewable energy specialist. What what exactly does that mean? So that means it's what you print on your business card, right? Yeah, exactly. That's just
4: on <laughs> the business card. A little slogan there, but um, it's what I studied in school, okay. and it's what I'm passionate about. So renewable energy, whether it's you know making a small residential application more efficient, whether it's looking at a commercial building and making that more efficient,
0: you know how do you how do you lower your energy bills? And you got
4: big big shoes to fill
0: with your, with your dad as the, as the plumbing and heating contractor on this. I sure house. do. I
3: sure
1: do. I, I could just testify that I film with them both Ross yeah. and dad, and he's much more agreeable. He's easier to work with. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. He lets you get your lines in. You can say, right. stuff. You you know. <laughs> but I mean, you actually work with a lot of architects who call yeah. you up and they say, listen, I've got this home, I've got this building, but I need someone to design the mechanical system for me. That's right. And they just give you the marching orders, make it comfortable make it and make it efficient.
4: That's right. That's, That's right. a lot
1: of work. It is. It is. And On top of that, you have to think about
4: service aspects, and you've got to think about your operating costs for the life of the system. So you've got to balance efficiency, Comfort, service, and keeping it quiet—so all that into one.
0: And what everybody wants is their their improvement to be cost effective. They want that return on investment. Exactly. So, as part of your job, actually figuring that out and, and, and predicting—you know—if uh, you spend a little bit more now, how long you have to be in the house to, to kind of make that up?
4: Yeah, it depends from project to project, but a lot of times that's the case. So we look at making a decision and how that's going to ultimately affect the install cost and how that's going to affect the operating cost. So for any decision that you make with the mechanical system, you can actually calculate what's my return investment for making that decision.
1: And, and I have to assume that um, this field that you're in, and your services
0: in particular, are in high demand and only going to be more so going into the future. <laughs> well, that's the plan, and I, that's, <laughs> that's what <I> hope. <laughs> that she's hoping for, right? <laughs> now, you had a big transformation on, on this old house, 1935 home, not known for its energy efficiency, yep. right? What was the original system like? How was this house heated and cooled? The original system was just a uh, standalone uh,
4: oil boiler. That that was it. And, uh, and it was, it was just feeding hot water, basically a hot water system, hydraulic system throughout the entire house for heating. And so we looked at it from a completely different aspect. No cooling system, of course. Yeah. No cooling, of course. Yeah. And so the whole idea about this was let's make a building that's very efficient starting with the building shell. Okay. So we can lower the heat load, lower
0: the cooling load and then let's do that the most efficient way we can. And I think that's an important point because the, the heating design really starts with the building design. Exactly. If it's not built correctly, if it's not built efficiently, you have to throw a lot more heat in here, and of course that's wasteful. Exactly, exactly. They play off each other. So if
4: the building shell and everything in the windows, and it's sealed up tighter, right. you're going to be able to put in a smaller mechanical
1: system, you're going to save on your operating costs, you're going to lower your install costs. And that's exactly what we did here. We've got lots of foam insulation in the walls, which, as you know, not just gives you the R value, but it right. stops that air infiltration,
0: mm-hmm. and all new windows windows, new doors, and so Tommy sealed those things up really tight. That's right. So let's talk about the new geothermal system. What are the most important design considerations for that? Mm-hmm. The most important thing is um, is basically are you know, going to do open loop or are you going to do
4: closed loop? That's okay. the first decision you have to make. Open yep. loop systems would mean that you're actually extracting water from the earth. Okay. You bring it into a heat exchanger and you send it back to the ground. Okay. A closed loop system is a self-contained closed loop, exactly as it says, um, type of system. So in the northeast here, we're more preferential to seeing closed-loop systems because we can control the water quality. We don't have to worry about a well going dry. We don't have to worry about um, the water quality not you know, p- picking up sediment or particulates. So a closed-loop system was what was designed here for the, basically to give us the long life that we want the system to run at. Right. And this system was designed for two closed-loop
1: wells, each of them being 500 feet deep. Mm. And that's another consideration, too, because in this case, we went vertical. That's right. Uh, in some cases, you can go horizontal with these loops, but certainly when you're on the side of a little mountain right. here, filled with ledge, it wasn't an option for us. That's
4: right. So
0: the, we decided for this application, it makes sense to go with a vertical system. And you actually had to drill down 350 feet to make that happen. Was that a difficult project? It,
4: uh, well, you can ask the driller about that, but, <laughs> but, but yeah, um, the, the Skillings guys did a great job. Um, and, uh, and basically once that piping is put in place down to the ground, right. you have a one inch PEX loop going down and coming back, it's grouted in place. Right. So you got good conductivity from there to the ground and you're feeding back that into your heat pump unit. And that, just so you know, those two wells were designed exactly to extract and remove three tons of heating or cooling energy in wow. and out of the ground.
1: And I will tell you that in this case, the drilling um, company that we used specialized in geothermal systems, uh, which is why when we were having it done, there was a million dollar rig out there that wow. was able to really board these holes down without too much of a problem. And it's, it's different than just getting any old well company to do this. If exactly. You can get a, a team that does geothermal, you're in good stead.
0: And the great thing about this system is, even though it is so high tech, it's virtually invisible in the house. So mm-hmm. you've got a system that really works well really supplies all the heating and cooling this home needs. It's completely invisible. with a great job. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. You are listening to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show coming to you from the set of the 33rd season of TV's This Old House. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Kevin O'Connor. Coming up, Kevin and I are going to bring this all together with some ideas you can incorporate to improve the accessibility of your own home. Back with more of the Money Pit in Essex, Massachusetts, on site with a team from This Old House after this. You live in the
7: Money Pit. Money
0: Pit. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. We are coming to you today from the set of this old house, which happens to be the home owned by John and Julie Corcoran in Essex, Massachusetts. Now, this home is getting a major overhaul so that Julie's parents will have a comfortable place to live and to be near their grandchildren.
1: That's right, and it was with that in mind that the entire project was laid out. Everything from having a complete first floor with bath and bedroom, as well as planning for the future with a caregiver suite on the second floor. And of course, all
0: with principles of universal design. Now, let's talk about that, Kevin, because sometimes the term universal design it's a bad rap. People think that we're talking about hospital-esque design with stainless guardrails everywhere in the house. Um, It's not really like that, is it?
1: No, it's not. And in fact, uh, I think people also have this uh, preconceived notion that it's just for people as they get older. But the reality is that universal design is really just good design, and it makes living in your house easier. And it can run the gamut from things that we think about that people that may be physically impaired might need, like no thresholds or no curbs into the shower. Right. But it could be
0: as simple as good lighting. And we all benefit from things like good lighting or big Big open floor plans. Yeah, I mean, something like, for example, that I can appreciate, you know, having three children, you always come home with your hands full of either a kid or groceries, right, is replacing a round doorknob with a lever doorknob. Absolutely. Simple thing like that, just easier on the hands. You can pop it with an elbow. Same thing with light switches. Toggle light switches uh, are out. Paddle light switches are, are in. Uh, bathrooms, for example.
1: Bathrooms are a great place. Think about a comfort height toilet. Um, They don't say it's a high toilet for people with physical impairments. (laughs) They say it's comfort height because it's actually comfortable for everybody. It doesn't mean that you have to get down as low or up as high. And when you've got faucets and fixtures that are easy to turn on and off, that are easy to access, uh, it makes a lot of sense. If you've got um, uh, sinks that are easy to get under to clean – or so that you can actually get to the supplies that you need. Cabinets that are easy to open. Great right. lighting. No trip points. No places to slip in that tub or shower. Well, who doesn't benefit from something like that?
0: Two words that don't normally go together: toilets and comfortable,
1: <laughs> <laughs> or cleaning in my house. <laughs> it's something exactly. I don't exactly. Do. <laughs>
0: yeah. And you know, you mentioned lighting. Good lighting is critically important. Um, getting rid of those thresholds is um, sometimes easy, sometimes not complicated. So if you can't get rid of the threshold, something as easy as maybe putting a rest stop near that threshold. By that, I mean a bench,
1: right? A a bench, or we've even seen little ramps that actually will uh, bring you up to grade very slowly, up and over the threshold, and so that it gives you a
0: gradual transition to an existing trip point. The key is, done well, universal design is completely invisible, and in fact, it actually improves both the look and the function of the home regardless of the age. And it doesn't have to be expensive. These could be small changes that you can make to any part of your house. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. We are just about out of time, but I wanted to take a moment to send out a very special thank you to the entire cast and crew of this old house, as well as the homeowners for allowing us to broadcast from the set today. And I also want to thank my very special co-host for the day, Kevin O'Connor, who's been filling in for Leslie Segretti and giving us a firsthand account of the reconstruction of this magnificent home. Tom, it's been great
1: to be here. I appreciate the invitation. And uh, to be honest with you... I'm getting ready to get back to TV (laughs) so be sure to visit thisoldhouse.com to find local PBS listings
0: for This Old House and Ask This Old House coming up next week on the program we're going to talk to Mark Wahlberg not the actor but the host of the Antiques Roadshow about his latest TV project a race to see which contestant has found the most valuable trinket from flea markets and garage sales that's all the time we have so from This Old House I'm Tom Kreitler and I'm Kevin O'Connor remember you can do it yourself, but you don't have to do
1: it alone.